We want to think about healthcare differently. We want to be proactive instead of being reactive, which a lot of healthcare is. We're waiting for something to happen. But fertility is, it's a silent disease. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Rashid. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specialises in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, light-hearted girls, but I know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's episode of the Fitness Fertility Podcast, I am delighted to welcome David O'Rourke to the show. David is a senior embryologist with years of experience working in the UK's top fertility clinics. He's a specialist in egg freezing and embryo biopsy, and he's a fertility technologies expert. David is consultant clinical embryologist at TriHealth, as well as being the founder of a number of organisations, including Baya Fertility, IVF Tribe and Pro Fertility. He's also a writer at BioNews, a researcher and a digital health enthusiast. David O'Rourke, welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Could you start just by telling us about your background and why you ended up working in fertility? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think I probably came from a relatively unconventional background. And the only reason I say that is because I've never met anybody else who's kind of taken a similar path to me. I studied my undergrad in biotech, biotechnology, and that's kind of focused a lot more on maths than anything else. So I did a lot of maths, a lot of engineering, and then did kind of biology on the side. But I always gravitated towards the biology. So whenever I finished my undergrad, I ended up moving over to London and, and doing a, a master's degree in medical biotech because I thought it was just such a super interesting subject, specifically the genetic side of things. And I just loved it. I really delved into it. And in that kind of master's, I really discovered prenatal genetic screening and diagnosis. And what that is, after embryos are created, you can take a couple of cells, you can sequence the DNA, and you can identify specific hereditary genetic diseases and you can take hereditary diseases out of families and that means that that family will never have that hereditary disease again like cystic fibrosis like sickle cell so conditions that impact people's lives and i thought that this was absolutely incredible and it was the way healthcare should be and that's why i ended up becoming an embryologist because i had to become an embryologist in order to to use the technology. And that's kind of my roundabout route of getting into the field in the first place. I see what you mean. You've started with the maths and the engineering. You've ended up in the embryology. A lot of my clients and a lot of our listeners, they come into contact with so many medical professionals. If you were to give a kind of textbook definition, how would you describe the work of an embryologist? So an embryologist or clinical embryologist, I suppose, is the protected term, is a, a highly skilled clinical scientist who, in the layman's terms, they look after your embryos mm. when they've been taken out of the ovaries. So when you take eggs out of the ovaries, they go into the lab and the embryologist takes over during that period. They do the insemination, so the fertilization kind of process. And then 
they keep a very close eye on the embryos over a period of five to six days, constantly looking at the embryos so they can use different techniques to select the best embryo in order to give the couple the highest chance of a successful live birth. We're only custodians of other people's cells for a very short amount of time, and we're using lots of new tools and new sophisticated tools to aid that selection process. So we're, we're rather specialist for a period of only a week in a lifetime of a person, I suppose. Honestly, it's so incredible. You're kind of their first. You're the first human that's looking after these embryos. That's a really incredible thing. Just as you were talking about that, I was kind of wondering, I'm sorry if this sounds like a silly question, but do you ever become attached to the embryos or is it such a clinical procedure that you just see it through the eyes of science? You're definitely aware of the privileged position that you're in being the first person to potentially create this embryo, put this sperm and egg together. I think embryologists are very proud of creating very beautiful embryos for people. We're able to take videos and pictures and show them to our patients. And I think that's a really privileged thing to do as well. Pressure's high because it's such a privilege and you're kind of getting down to the, the micro to just get those little things in the patient's favor. You definitely get attached to to patients and you know you're you're always in their court you want them to win and and be successful and there's so many factors that kind of go into that David I'm so interested in what you've just said about beautiful embryos what makes a beautiful embryo it's quite an embryology centric question <laughs> it's something that we totally obsess about creating beautiful embryos and that could mean many different things a beautiful embryo is something that is a euploid, which means that it's got balanced chromosomes, which is something that we do with genetic testing. But then from a visual side of things, a beautiful embryo or maybe a beautiful blastocyst, because it's kind of normally around kind of day five, looks quite similar to those really old black and white stitched footballs where <laughs> you've kind of got the different patches. What it actually looks like is you've got, first of all, the zona on the outside, which is kind of a thick protein crust which protects the cells inside for the first kind of week inside you have the trophectoderm cells which are these cells that are stitched on the outside and there should be somewhere between 90 to maybe 120 on day five and they're all really uniform and and lovely and and make this beautiful brown blastocyst and then finally you've got a group of cells on the inside called the uh, inner cell mass and the inner cell mass is a very tight clump of cells connected to the inside of the trophectoderm, and then there's a lot of liquid inside. And those inner cell mass cells go on directly to be the baby. They're the cells that develop on eventually to create that kind of baby. And the trophectoderm cells on the outside, they develop on to be the placenta. I've said already, it's such a privilege to to be able to see these things and some of the technology that we use around time-lapse, where we take pictures of the embryo over 11 different focal planes every 10 minutes. We actually get to watch videos of these embryos developing and forming into these beautiful blastocysts, which is a real privilege. We did an episode on the IVF extras, add-ons, and obviously we just touched on it in a light way. But when I was researching it for the show and obviously I was looking at all these images and I was reading around it, it's really incredible. So what you were saying about taking pictures every 10 minutes on the kind of different planes, it is kind of mind-boggling. 
Do you keep in touch with patients and do they ever send you pictures of the baby and the two-year-old and the five-year-old and you're kind of there going, I knew you when you were three cells old. You were a beautiful embryo. Does that ever happen? Do you ever see them a little bit later on in life? Yeah, it happens all the time. It's such a lovely thing. And some patients go the extra mile and that they bring their children in. (gasps) They're so happy and they're so thankful. And it's such a lovely thing to experience. I'm actually really emotional, David. I know that you probably get used to it because you did it a lot. And I didn't know what embryologists did, but the way you talk about it is actually really quite emotional. One of the other things I wanted to ask, with your specialist knowledge of IVF, you know, right down literally to the kind of cells that, fingers crossed, grow into a beautiful baby. Could you give us pieces of advice, things listeners can actually control in their own lifestyle that might just help nudge them towards being in a better situation before they start IVF? The biggest impacting factor on the successful outcome of a cycle is the female age. And that's quite a cruel thing. Biology doesn't catch up with the speed of society. The female age is such a critical thing in determining the the outcome of the cycle. If anybody's listening who's kind of thinking about having a family, I suppose the advice is really just do things as early as you can. And I know that's easier said than done. Other things that we talk about to prepare people for cycles are things like BMI. So we know over certain BMI success rates drop quite significantly. We're always telling people to be in best possible healthy condition they can be because fertility is so delicate. When you've got fluctuations in weight, you can see that female cycles stop. Or if there's times of high stress, it can really affect your cycles. Mm. So fertility is so delicate. The obvious ones being healthy around diet, around BMI and weight, and they're like big aspects in their own right. Environment, which sometimes is unavoidable, like we're living in cities now, and cities Mm. are more pollutant, and we can see pollution have an impact on fertility. Mm -hmm. And also mental health. It's, It's not an easy process to get into. So it's always advisable to prepare yourself as much as possible. It's it's equally a physical roller coaster, but also it's a real mental roller coaster to go through an IVF cycle. So there's kind of many aspects that need to be brought together and they need to be nurtured and couples or individuals need to have their support networks. And people don't talk a lot about when they're going into IVF because there's still the shame around it, but there's a lot of people there to potentially support. And I've, I've kind of mentioned quite a few different things there that are all quite big buckets in their own right. But it's really about tackling it head on and being as informed as possible about your specific case, your body and what the best approach is for you. Absolutely. And we've had a few fantastic guest experts on the show. And the key thing that keeps coming out is it has to be specific for that particular person. Saying that though, (laughs) I am going to push you a little bit because I know that our listeners will be screaming. They're going to want an age. When you're talking about the age of an individual or maybe the age of the eggs, perhaps, but is there an age where fertility does start to decline? And if so, if anyone is over that age, guess the advice would be to freeze the eggs. Is that, is that the type of advice you would give? Well, so at the moment, like I've worked in the UK and the HFEA are our governing body. And what they do is they break up the age groups because it is so age related. There's so much waste going into the decision and the potential outcome based on age. When we look at statistics, we look at 35 and below 
as being as the best possible age. And then it starts to decline from 35 to 42. At the moment in the UK, not to get too technical, but the HFEA has just actually released some data from all the clinics and they put it all together. And what they say is that if you're under 35 and you transfer a single embryo, your chance of having a live birth from that embryo is about 45%. Wow. And that changes to about 5% when you're 42. Wow. So there's a drastic change from 35 to 42 where, you know, from 25 to 35, there isn't really a change. So fertility really kind of, I wouldn't say peaks, but it starts to really decline when you're 35. And so that's that's a real milestone or a number that we were always kind of advising, try to start the family before that, because you're less likely to, to kind of run into problems. Wow. Okay. 35. 35 indeed. Sorry to interrupt, but do you know that I offer a two-week free trial on all my training plans? This means you have access to my fertility-focused training plans, meal plans, and accountability calls for the duration of your trial. For more information and to sign up to start your free trial, get in touch at info at fitnessfertility.com. And now back to the show. I know you've kind of stepped away from the clinical facing role and you are very heavily involved in the future of IVF and fertility treatment. I know from speaking to you and going to places like the fertility show that the tech involved in fertility now is just huge. So I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about why you've stepped away and the kind of tech side of fertility. Yeah, absolutely. I think my story about stepping away, I think was really difficult. Um, and I loved clinical work. I loved kind of being face to face with people and, and really solving problems and, and being hands on and being custodian of these embryos that were going through the lab and, mm. and hopefully, you know, changing people's lives and, and helping make the family that they want. But I think for me personally, I came to a realization that in a clinic, I've only got the capacity to help people who kind of come in the door. And I don't have the capacity to help anybody beyond that. So I felt a little bit limited by my ability to to really have an impact. You can see fertility is, it's just, I wouldn't say it's a growing issue, but it's just people are becoming more aware of it. And it's being normalized. It's a growing issue on a number of fronts, like both socially, both economically and medically. And I felt that stepping away and putting my head towards creating solutions for people that they could use at home or that they could use with technology and use kind of med tech and devices. I felt that if I stepped away from my clinical role, I could use my knowledge, experience, even use that biotech degree that I never used when I was in <laughs> clinic to uh, kind of bring back into the fray, bring the maths back in and really try and figure out, can I help people on a much bigger scale with solutions. And that's kind of my personal journey in into setting up some companies and, and kind of inventing some devices. And I think on a wider scale, we're talking a lot about AI these days. And embryology and fertility hasn't been avoided in that sense. Embryologists are now using AI as a tool to help select the embryos and help identify embryos in what we call morphokinetics, which is wow. just the development pattern of the embryo. So the division pattern of the cells. So it should go from one to two and two to four and four to eight. But 
if it doesn't go through that normal pattern, then we can maybe give it a lower score in our scaling process. We're looking at that in labs. Uh, we're also looking at automation because some of the procedures that we do do are repetitive. So if we can automate, we can make it a lot more efficient. We can do a lot more cycles and we can treat a lot more people. So we can automate some of those processes. Now, wow. the automation is a little bit further behind in terms of its developments, where AI is, there's a few different players who are bringing some interesting data to the field. That's really where the development is. So in terms of the doctors and the medication, that hasn't changed in 20 or 30 years. But there's been massive innovation leaps in labs, in med tech, in femtech, in devices and there's a lot of kind of solutions that are coming into the field onto the market that are looking really interesting and, and are quite exciting. On this note, just to explain to people, you and I have met through uh, ProFertility, which speaking of solutions and helping people is amazing. Thank you. It's basically doing everything you've just said. The key things with fertility from what I can see are time, because we've talked about age, and you did mention it, but money, and it can be incredibly expensive for people to have to go through the fertility process. So if tech can in any way help with those two things, that would be massive. Could you tell us a little bit about ProFertility and, and what it is you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So ProFertility was founded by myself and my two co-founders. So that's Toyn and Charlotte. And we all worked in the fertility industry. We all came together out of the same motivation to do something different. Mm. We saw a lot of people going through IVF cycles, not discovering that they had a problem until it was way too late. And so we wanted to help and we wanted to create a solution to really give people insights before they even knew that there was anything. That was really our goal. And that was what we asked ourselves when we started this kind of journey. What we decided to do was we want to create a company that's going to give amazing insights. It's going to be accessible. So you do everything from home. It's going to be affordable. Yeah. We created products to do clinical level testing from your home. We send out kits to do pathology tests. So that's blood for men and women. And then also we've got an andrology kit, which is a, a semen analysis kit. And what that is, is we send our kits to your home. You take samples, a blood sample or a semen sample, and then you send it back to our labs. And we do the analysis of those samples. In conjunction with us, we also take data in terms of lifestyle. So we look at all of those factors that we've talked about. We look at environmental. We look at your mental health. And we look at your physical health as well. Because all of those life factors, as I said, really play a role on the outcome of fertility as it's so sensitive. And with all of that data, we're able to identify areas for individuals that are lower than they potentially should be. Uh, and this is what we, we're going to be able to identify. And this is how we're going to give those insights. So we're going to be able to say for any person that might come in that they wouldn't necessarily know themselves that there's a specific area potentially in their lifestyle that is impacting their fertility and they might not know about it. And so we're going to identify it, put this person in contact with one of our lovely specialists like yourself. Thank you so much, David. Thank you so much. <laughs> and we're going to put therapeutic plans in place so we can solve problems. And we think it's really important that we identify these potential problems as early as we possibly can. So we've got time to make the change, time to make the intervention 
age isn't going to be that major factor anymore. We want to think about healthcare differently. We want to be proactive instead of being reactive, which a lot of healthcare is. We're waiting for something to happen. But fertility is its a silent disease. You don't know that something is potentially wrong until you start to try and, and have a, a family. And then it could be a year before you're diagnosed. Yeah. Because infertility is diagnosed by not conceiving while trying to for 12 months. That time's kind of eating away all, all the time. We want to really engage as early as we possibly can, emulate other industries that are doing it like the dental industry and mm. have people go for regular checkups, get tested, make sure they're aware. And we can see it with kind of younger generations who, who are like young professionals. They're working on their career. They're in stable relationships. And they're doing full fertility screenings because they're like, I want to have a family and I want to have a family in the future. But I think I should know about this now. If there is anything I need to do, I can do it now and not in five years time when those statistics might be considerably lower. Yeah. We're really trying to take this proactive approach to healthcare, proactive approach to fertility. I'm really excited about it. Thing, I think we're going to really help a lot of people. The thing that makes pro-fertility different is you're getting in before they even know that there might be a problem being proactive rather than reactive. And that's huge because like you've just said, it can take years, you know, as I'm sure you know, endometriosis can take 10 years to get a diagnosis. This holistic approach to their care this could be life-changing for people who may be able to have a family when otherwise they might not have been. It's incredibly exciting. And you and your team have done an amazing job getting it all up and running. Thank you. When are you launching and how will people find out more about this? Because if I was still currently trying to conceive, I would be getting you in Google immediately. Where can we find you? We are going out nice and slowly and you can find us at profertility.com. We also have an app as well that you're going to be able to download. Everything can be done through your phone. I'm really excited about getting it out in the world and starting to help people. You know, as I said, we're, we're trying to do something different. We've compiled a really unique group of specialists as you were talking about endometriosis and, and other things like polycystic ovaries we can sit down and create specific packages for them where we put them in contact with the people that they need to so we can make a change as quickly as possible in their lives because it's debilitating these things we want to start making a difference and i'm just really excited to kind of get out there and, and start engaging with people and, and doing all the good that we want to it's going to be a game changer for so many people. We will put the links to everything in the show notes so people will be able to find you very, very easily. David, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I know our listeners will be very, very grateful for you sharing all of your information. A massive thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really awesome to, to talk about this. Isn't David just the most impressive person? Yes. And going from a lab to recognizing that there was only a certain footfall coming through the door and then wanting to apply all of his skills, including his math skills, to <laughs> have a greater impact on women and couples that are trying to conceive. Like, that's pretty cool. He has this incredible scientific knowledge. He has this incredible passion for helping others in this fertility space. And he really does want to be able to reach out and help more people than he was able to do when he was working in the lab. And I love the combination of kind of humanity and science. His company, you know, Pro Fertility, him and his two co-founders, is very impressive. It's trying to help people 
way before they would normally be helped. So it's something we've talked about before with regards to age. He's trying to get in there early because we know that the clock is always ticking. And hopefully by other people having access more quickly, it will just save them a lot of pain and heartache. So it's a really amazing business that he's built up. Pro Fertility is absolutely worth checking out. Absolutely. And we send our cars for regular checkups. Why don't we send ourselves? And we know that age is such a critical factor in fertility. Do you know, let's get ahead of it. It's absolutely the right thing to do. Very impressive. And I wish him all the very best. So Maria, what will we be talking about next week? In next week's show, I will be focusing on how to train before, during and after IVF. And the reason I am talking about this next week is because I have had four pregnancy announcements in the last four weeks, all from clients who have gone through IVF. So I am really looking forward to delving into what we did and how we did it. Four pregnancy announcements in four weeks. That's a record. That's a record. It's a record. I'm very emotional and it goes without saying, but I am absolutely delighted for all of them. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week and please rate, comment and really importantly, share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult with your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.